I was devastated. It was, I mean, I immediately just burst into tears and was like, no, I can't, I can't lose her. It's too soon. Yeah. You know, I, had, I haven't had enough time. Yeah. So then there, it, that was the hardest. And I, I still like when anything happens, she's one of the first people I want to pick up the phone and call and I can't. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Liz from Michigan. She grew up in a neighborhood full of adoptees, so it wasn't until years later in the Dominican Republic, teaching a class with a lot of adoptees in it, that her own adoption sunk in. After finding her natural mother through an intermediary, they reunited during a sleepover in a hotel room where they stayed up all night. Their bond solidified when Liz's daughter was born, bringing them closer as they marveled at the next generation of their family before them. After more than a decade in reunion, Liz played an emotional farewell to her natural mother on her viola to say goodbye. This is Liz's journey. Liz was adopted at two months old. She grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with her older brother also adopted. When Liz was five years old, her little brother was born, a surprise sibling in the family. She said her best friend next door was also adopted in a similar family structure, two adoptees, and one biological child. Her father's best friend's family also had the same 2-1 split of adoptees to natural children, and there were a bunch of adoptees in the neighborhood she grew up in. So much so that adoption was fairly normalized for Liz to the point that, for her, you were a standout if you weren't adopted. She didn't grow up feeling that adoption was strange, that she had been rejected, or that she was abandoned. But I thought about it a lot. It was always there in my mind. Like, it was just something that came up a lot in my thinking. And I don't necessarily know why. I don't remember exactly what I was thinking about. But it was just always part of my, I don't know. It came into my thoughts anyway. Can you remember Um, what it felt like when it came into your thoughts? Like, what did it, what would your thoughts be like? I think it was just more like, hmm, I wonder, I, I wonder what she's doing i wonder where she is and Mm -hmm. i'm thinking of my mother and i didn't really think about whether i had brothers and sisters and for some reason it wasn't until i was probably 22 that i thought you know what i have a father somewhere too (laughs) like it just didn't even occur to me i don't know why (laughs) and um so i didn't feel bad i was just more curious and i wondered where she was and if she lived in Grand Rapids because that's where I assumed they were from was Grand Rapids so basically it was that I was just thinking about it now the the one other thing I don't know my mom would give me little bits of information like oh your father was a barber or um I can't remember what some of the other things she said were but I presumably she had seen that in my adoption papers Mm -hmm. uh the one thing that growing up that really bothered me. So I've always struggled with my weight. It's always been an issue. And my mom would say to me, well, you know, your mother was overweight. So I'm sure that's why you are. Or if something happened that I did or my brother did or whatever, well, that you probably got that from your 
biological parents. And it seemed like there was this little negative, like this propensity of hers to put anything negative on my biological family. Mm -hmm. Like our behaviors or our choices or whatever couldn't possibly have been influenced by them. So that was kind of, that's always kind of been the one big thing that's really bothered me about this. You know, still even today, sometimes she'll bring things up like that. And I'm like, no way. You're not still saying that. <laughs> wow. It's funny because I can imagine that it's, it's twofold for a parent, I would imagine. So I'm thinking, I'm trying to play, put myself in her shoes. So I don't know if you know that I'm an adopt and an adoptive parent and I have a biological right so I've lived multiple pieces of this and even with my own biological son I'll say to my wife well he didn't get that from me you know what I mean yes so there's a piece of it yeah my husband and I do the same thing I'm always blaming everything on his side of the family exactly (laughs) right right but 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 for an adoptee I can see how it is a little bit offensive to especially in the instances where it's only the quote unquote negative things that right, are blamed exactly. on there biology. There was nothing positive. Like yeah. I played the viola and I played very well. It wasn't like, oh, I wonder if your family had musical talent. You know, it was always yeah. the negative. Yeah. And so yeah, that has always bothered me. And my my older brother had some um drug addiction problems when he got into high school and college and that was always blamed on his parents as well even though when I read his adoption papers it said that they were college students and you know it was just they weren't together anymore and so that's why he was given up and I'm thinking well they didn't sound like drug addicts to me but you know who knows Mm -hmm. so it's I don't know it's just one of those things that that was kind of the biggest thing but I, I would say overall my parents never made me feel different or other uh, than their child. Um, they got frustrated when I didn't like the same things that they did. Uh, I didn't want to do some of the same things. And I think that was kind of the biggest issue growing up is I have very different ways of thinking and, I don't know, interests and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they got frustrated with that. And when I met my biological family, then I was like, oh, okay, that's where all that came from. Mm. So it, it's very much a, a lovely study in nature nurture. Liz said one notable difference between herself and her parents is their more formal way of planning life activities versus her more free-flowing nature. They're really social people, but they have social norms that require structure and organization. She didn't just have a random friend over for dinner on a school night, for example. That kind of spontaneity didn't sit well with them. Whereas I'm much more spur of the moment. I'm like, yeah, let's go do it. No, come on over. I have a whole bunch of people living in my house right now. And I'm always open to if somebody needs to stay here or whatnot, that's fine. It's no big deal to me. And my parents were never like that. And when I met my biological family, that's exactly how they are. They are super open. They're welcoming. They're not that my parents weren't welcoming, but there were very specific expectations, I guess is what it was. Mm -hmm. And um, so much more rigid in some of their ways of living and thinking, whereas I'm a little bit more relaxed about life. And I have my, obviously my things that I like to do and and expectations about way things should be in my house, but I'm much more flexible. I guess that's the word I'm looking for is I'm, I'm a lot more flexible. And my biological family's always been very flexible, very welcoming to people. And even if things are not great, 
you know that they still love you and, you know, they might have some judgment, but they kind of keep it to themselves and say, well, I love you anyway and let's move on. Mm. Whereas I didn't always feel that from my adoptive family. After college, Liz went to the Dominican Republic for a few years, working in a school. When she got back, eventually her young family made their way back to Michigan when Liz's daughter was born. But she said that it was in the Dominican Republic where ideas about her biological mother popped into her head. It was there she met her husband in a small mountain town. Every night, they would go down by the riverside, sit, and talk about everything. She said adoption started coming up more and more. Plus, the school that I worked for was a school for American kids with behavior issues, and their parents had sent them there. Uh, as kind of like a boot camp kind of school. And there were so many adopted kids there. And it just started, got it, you know, got me thinking, wow, I can't believe how many adopted kids are here. And my brother had just come out of rehab shortly before that. And so some of those issues relating to adoption, and I had heard, you know, kids who were adopted had a greater chance of this and that, you know, maybe drug issues or behavior issues or mm-hmm. even suicide. So I think it just started becoming more present in my mind. And I, I don't remember the night exactly, but I know there was a night where it popped into my mind like, wow, I cannot imagine ever having a child and never knowing what happened to her or him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have kids or anything, but I just thought this woman must be wondering what happened to her child. You know, it just, I kind of figured that must be the case. And I've heard other people say that over the years. So it must be, I think you're right. Mostly women have said it. And um, maybe it's when you start getting around childbearing age and such, it just starts to think, wow, I can't imagine giving a child up and never knowing what happened to him or her. And so when I came home from the Dominican, then it was 91 and I started thinking I need to find my family. At that time, the laws in Michigan allowed adoptees to apply to receive the names of birth parents and any available information. But if the birth parent had not added their own name to the state adoption registry, granting permission to re-identify them, the adoptee would only receive non-identifying information. At 23 years old, Liz started to complete the paperwork, but then some big life stuff happened. She was planning her wedding to the man she dated by the riverside in the Dominican Republic, and some family issues arose that required her attention. Initiating the search had to wait. In 1995, Liz's mother read an article about Michigan's reunion laws changing to allow an intermediary to support the identification of birth parents if they had not submitted themselves to reunion registries. Liz was in a different place in her life, so she wrote in to Child and Family Services, sent the required fee, and requested an intermediary to take her case. Her mind began to wander to what a reunion might look like. How would she manage having two families, one adopted and one biological? She said she didn't have any experience balancing separate family units, kind of like how a child of divorce might have to navigate their parents' separate lives. Since her mom brought the updated information about the Michigan law to Liz, her mom was very open to talking with her about her reunion attempt. 
So I've heard, because I've heard so many people who have said, oh, I couldn't tell my adoptive parents or I waited until they passed away or whatnot. And so that was a huge difference is that my mom was, even though, you know, she loved to blame the bad things on my biological family, she was all for supporting me and looking for them. So I was very grateful for that. How did that sit with you? That she was, there was this juxtaposition between accepting all of the things that she hoped came from her nurturing and then mm-hmm. all of the things being relatively negative that she associated with you finding these folks and then like being completely open to you finding these folks. Right. I think sometimes <laughs> her thought process doesn't really connect that as well. I, I think she has this, I had this idea that this would be some poor woman who, I don't know, just lived a rough life and that would, I, I don't, I don't know she what she thought about what our relationship was going to be, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't really know how to answer that one because it was, I didn't really think about, I didn't connect that at the time, but I do know that there have always been things that since meeting my biological mother, I, I don't share with my mom. You know, I've shared a lot of parts with her, but things where I know she would be critical. And she was, oh, yeah, see, that confirms my thoughts, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I've never been able to be totally open and honest with my adopted mom. And that's with anything in my life. That's not just this. Mm-hmm. That's really Because she's very judgmental and critical about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. She can be very loving on one hand, but she has very certain expectations and she's not flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. That makes a lot of sense. So how, yeah. did, how did the intermediary, what happened next with them? with this person so that was probably august of 2005 and then um i waited and when i went to look so remember i said my next door neighbors had adopted kids as well and the um, my best friend's older sister heard that i was looking and she wanted to look as well so she sent her stuff off as well right around the same time i did and then i heard in december that they had found her biological mother so I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I wasn't sure why it was taking longer for mine, but whatnot. Uh, I just kind of went on, and one day I was at work, and the uh, agency called and said, we have found her, and she would like to see you. So, you know, we did the back-and-forth paperwork, and then they said, okay, we'll have her call you. And so wow. I, at that point, I was like, oh, wow, this is really real. You know, this is really happening. Take me to that moment at work, if you don't mind. You got this call. I'm sure it wasn't something you were expecting to receive on this particular day. Like, just no. describe how do you uh, how did how was it? You look at the phone, you answer. Well, how how did it go? Okay, so I had I, I struggle with remembering details. Uh, I always have in my <laughs> life, too. so I can't tell you exactly. <laughs> me too. But um, <laughs> I remember just being so shocked. And I worked in this little office with a whole bunch of women, and they all knew that I was looking and I was kind of waiting. We talked about it and such. And so when it happened, I just remember being super like overwhelmed and, Oh my gosh, this is happening. You know, it was just, it was a mixture of excitement and fear, you know, for, for what it would be like. And it was probably about three days later than when she finally called. And um, I was on my way out the door to work when the phone rang. And so I answered, you know, this is the day, this is in the days before cell phones and whatnot. I didn't have caller ID or anything like that. And Mm -hmm. so I remember answering and it was her and she was just like, you know, this is Joan and are you Liz? And I said, yes. And she just bursts into tears and starts crying and says, 
I'm so sorry. Do you hate me? Do you hate me? And I remember being so shocked because I thought, why would I hate you? I, I mean, that had never in a million years occurred to me. And it wasn't until I met more adoptees later in different settings that I understood that people really struggled over the years being adoptees. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, as I'd grown up, it was super normal for me. So no, I'm not going to hate her. So I said, no, of course I don't hate you. And so we had like maybe a 40 minute talk, 45 minutes, something like that. And uh, we decided to meet. She was living in Michigan. I was in Indiana. I was in Bloomington, Indiana. So we decided to meet about halfway in Fort Wayne. Even when I hung up though, then I was like, I, I just remember feeling so overwhelmed. And I went to work I don't think I got anything done that day. (laughs) I called my parents and I said, hey, I talked to her. And even though my mom was very helpful, at that moment, I think it was very hard for her. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is real. (laughs) And my dad was super quiet. In the end, my mom told me it bothered him a lot more than it bothered her, which I found super interesting because it just being my mother, I I, I don't know why. I would have thought if I said my birth father, then that would have bothered him, but. I don't know. It just seemed to bother him a lot, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I hadn't talked to him really about it much. I mean, that he was never really part of that conversation over the years. That's really interesting. It sounds like then he yeah. wasn't part of it because it was bothering him already. Could be. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think about it that way. But I think you're right. He just always, he adopted us. He thought of us as his kids, treated us as such. Yeah. And that was that. Yeah. And if if, you know, you've spoken to your mom and said, this is a thought that you're having. If she conveyed that to him, then he probably, he, it's possible that he exited right there. You know, that, that yeah. pillow talk between them. Um, he may have, yeah, he may be. have checked out of the thing well before you even had a chance to be right. open about it. I don't know. Right. Wow. Liz admits she dragged her feet for about three weeks before their reunion at the time. Liz was kind of broke, so when Joan called to see if Liz had made hotel arrangements, she was racking her brain to try to piece together and fund their reunion. About three weeks later, Liz and Joan got a hotel room together. All of her friends and family thought she was nuts for staying in the same room with a woman she didn't even know. But I don't know really why I was dragging my feet except that it just, it was scary. You know, it was intimidating to think about actually having the meeting. Yeah, I can imagine. Wow, that must have been surreal. Can you tell me about, do you remember anything about your approach to the hotel, your checking in, your seeing her for the first time? Can you tell me anything about that you remember from yes, that? Yes, for sure. That I definitely remember. That is not, you know, gone from my mind ever. <laughs> so I, I was really, really anxious. And I don't tend to be somebody who gets super worried and anxious about things and physically affected by that. But I was sick like the whole two days before that, just, you know, yeah, it was, it was tough. (laughs) And um, Mm -hmm. I just remember feeling really like awful. My stomach was in knots and whatnot. And even though I wanted this to happen, I was so nervous. And um, so I got to the hotel first and I can't remember how long I was there, but it wasn't super long. And then she showed up and she knocked on the door. I, and we hugged immediately, looked at each other for like two seconds. And then she's like, and she's like, oh my gosh, you're beautiful. And then she says, I got to go out and get my stuff. And then she kind of like ran out to go get her things. And <laughs> I think it was kind of her way of 
dealing with that moment as well. And I just remember standing there in the room and kind of taking a breath and thinking, okay, wow, <laughs> this is really happening. And she came back in and then, and things seemed a little bit calmer at that point. And we had both brought, um, lots of pictures. I brought my baby book that my mom had done. My mom worked really hard on a baby book for me. So I majorly appreciate that now, you know, years and years later, it's been amazing to have. And, um, so we immediately just sat down and started talking. In Joan's artifacts, Liz saw pictures of her sister, two years younger, and two brothers, five and ten years younger, respectively. Liz shared pictures of herself growing up, and the women were able to truly break the ice, staying up all night, talking and looking at pictures. It had been 28 years since Liz's birth, so they tried their best to share bits and pieces of their decades apart. I inquired about that moment many of us have in the face-to-face -face meeting, wondering if Liz remembers staring at Joan, looking for pieces of herself. Oh, for sure. Yes. And so, okay, I, I forgot to tell you that. So growing up, that was the one big thing. And I've heard this from other people as well. I thought it was only me, but since it's been confirmed, I'm like, okay, that's super common. I, I didn't look like anybody in my family. And I really, really wanted to look like her. And then I saw her and I was like, yeah, I don't look like her. Oh no. <laughs> so we we are built exactly alike. So I knew that she was my mother because we had the same legs and um we had the same hair and different things like that, but I didn't really feel like her face looked like mine. My siblings are half Puerto Rican, so they really don't look like me. Mm -hmm. Um they all have dark hair and I'm blonde and very pale and so I was like gosh darn it all these times you know all these years I've been waiting to look like somebody and I still don't look right. like anybody the one but, box oh, wow. I wanted to check <laughs> yes that's great exactly so yes I did I did look at that for sure yeah I can imagine so you stayed up probably all night huh yeah probably till three or four in the morning my gosh that's unbelievable how was it the next day yeah. when you woke up and there she is so it was good. It was so there were two things that she said that evening that and I don't know if I said anything like she never has said anything since like I can't believe you said that. But there were two things that she said the night before that were kind of awkward. Um, the first was and I don't remember what the context was or why she said it, but just talking about having to leave me, I guess. I, I think it was. Oh, I know. Because remember, I said I was adopted after two months. She had been trying to find a way to keep me. Her parents would not let her bring me home. She was 21 years old when I was born. And um, that surprised me a lot because I assumed all people who gave up kids were 16, 17, something like that. And I was like, 21? But, you know, back in 1967, they didn't have the social services available like they do now. And so she was talking about how she was trying to move in with some friends. Well, one, she had called my birth father and asked if he, she was going to ask if he would marry her, but he had already married the mother of my half sister who's nine months older than I am. And so then she was trying to find some friends with whom she could live and that didn't work out. And so finally, two months later, she had to sign the papers and it was devastating. And she said, if I could have had an abortion, it would have been so much easier. I remember looking at her thinking, oh, okay, wow. thanks. And 
I just, it just really kind of surprised me that she said that. And so the next morning she said, I'm so sorry I said that. I should not have said that. That was really blunt. But I, I mean, as I, as the years have passed, I understand why she said that. Yeah. Um, just because it was so incredibly hard for her. Yeah. You know, I it, didn't, I, it wasn't until even years and years later, like maybe eight, nine years ago that I really understood her trauma that she went through. It was kind of all about me mm-hmm. at that point. So, yeah. 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 I could see how a comment like that might fly and it doesn't sound like she was saying it from a space of emotion as much as tactic, like execution, yes. right? Level of yeah. effort. I spent two right. months trying to work this deal almost to, you know, bring you home. And if I was to work this thing a different way, uh, like I could have cut right to the chase. It, it sounds right. like it was very, very. Well, because she wanted to keep me so bad and it was mm-hmm. so painful over all those years. Oh, man, I bet. I'll and bet. that just, again, it didn't really dawn on me until I read The Girls Who Went Away. And all of a sudden it slapped me in the face. And that was in 2011, I think when I read that or 2010, something like that. And I went, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe all these years. I've been so self-centered in my thoughts in terms of the adoption. I didn't really, even though I had that thought years ago, like I can't imagine what it would be like the minute I met her, then all of a sudden it was just kind of all about me. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have so, that I guess book. just maturity. You yeah. just learn and grow and go, oh, mm-hmm. wow, that must have been really horrible for her. Yeah, and I mean, oftentimes it takes something. It's it's not always easy to empathize with someone's position right off the bat, right? And especially something yeah. as traumatic as adoption and relinquishment where a, you know, a person has given away another person that they've created in this world. Like that's a really hard thing to empathize with someone else over especially as right. you don't know if you don't know the layers of what they went through whatever the family discussion was whatever the environment was as you've said in the 60s you know there's all of these other components to it that you just can't even calculate so it's hard to make it about them when you're the only one that has lived your peace also you know what i'm saying it's yes yeah exactly. it's very challenging to to break out and and empathize but i'm I'm looking at the book, The Girls Who Went Away, right here on my shelf. I will hold that forever because you're right. It was so oh. eye-opening to read. Yeah, it just changed hear. my life. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I knew she'd been sent away to a, a home, but I just thought, oh, okay, well, that's too bad. You know, I didn't yeah. really understand that whole process and the results of what happened to all those women. Joan told Liz the story of her conception. She said she grew up next door to Liz's birth father, but their parents didn't get along at all. So much so that when Joan got pregnant, she refused to divulge the father's identity because their families despised one another so much. Anyway, the young man had grown up with Joan, moved away, then came back one year where they reconnected at a New Year's Eve party. They started dating, then Joan found out she was pregnant in March of 1967. Unfortunately, Joan also found out that the young man had gone back to dating the young lady he was seeing before they reconnected, a woman who was also pregnant with his child, a half-sister nine months older than Liz. And so she never told him that she was pregnant. He did not know anything about me. Uh, but when she found out that he had gotten married, 
that was, she's like, Oh, okay. I can't, I can't do this alone. Um, but my, my maternal grandfather was also quite a bad alcoholic. It sounds like, and did, I don't know, just wouldn't, was not supportive of her at all bringing me home. And, uh, her mother went along with that. So Mm -hmm. there was just really no choice there. Mm Mm-hmm. Going back to the visit in the hotel room, you said there were two awkward things that she said. Oh, right. What was the second? Um, one? Yeah, it was. It had to do with uh, just how I was conceived. Like she, she just made some comment about my birth father and how she'd always loved him, and so she's like, "It's not like you were a one night stand or anything." And then the next morning, she's like, I don't know why I even told you about that. I mean, it wasn't anything bad. I mean, it was, it was just her trying to say, you know, I, you were not just some fling, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, they, they ended up not lasting, but it was for her, it was, I think more meaningful than for him. He was obviously a bit of a player. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It just was one of those things that just sort of came out and then she apologized for it the next day. And I'm like, well, that's okay. You know, um, I'm not super sensitive. Typically the, the abortion one, I think surprised me more than that. I, I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but those were the two things the next day where we woke up and she was like, gosh, I, I don't know why I said those things to you, but it, it wasn't anything that put a damper on the visit or that I was upset about nothing like that. The next day, the women got up and had breakfast together. Coincidentally, it was Liz's brother's birthday, so they talked about him a lot. Liz and Joan parted ways around noon, Liz driving back to Indianapolis to share her experience with a few friends and sharing pictures Joan had given her of her birth father. Unfortunately, Liz's birth father died when she was about 18 years old. She admitted she had a hard time seeing a resemblance to the man in the pictures she was given. In one photo, he's so small he's barely identifiable. The other is a classic high school graduation picture that doesn't reveal any discernible resemblance. I asked about the aftermath of their reunion. Liz said she's a sharer, so she had told everyone from family members to friends and colleagues that she was going to meet Joan. After the reunion, she told everyone how things had gone. Here's what she said about the relationship with Joan. Like I said, we were living in different states, and so we had phone conversations. It was very, very hard on the phone, um, and I'm not sure why. We had a lot of, you know, awkward silences. It just seemed hard to kind of make that natural conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not that anything was bad, but it was just tough. And so I didn't feel that desire to call her every few days or every week or anything like that. But we talked fairly frequently, maybe every few weeks um, and just would talk for a few minutes. And then I'd kind of make a excuse that I had to go or something like that. And again, it wasn't bad. It was just not natural. Like if I talked to my mother or my sister-in-law or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't until we didn't really see, oh, I know. So then now when I would go home to Michigan to see my adoptive family, uh, maybe for Thanksgiving or something or Christmas, this is where I had mentioned before I hadn't grown up in a family of divorce or anything, but it almost felt like that because my birth mom would say, hey, can you come spend Thanksgiving with us? And I'm like, oh, uh, 
could I stop by on the way to Ann Arbor and we'll celebrate a little early or something? And cause I have to have Thanksgiving with them. And I felt that kind of pull from both places. Like she really wanted me to be part of the family and part of the celebrations and whatnot. But I still had my adoptive parents who had very solid expectations that I would be celebrating with them because they are the first priority. Right. And so I felt a little bit pulled in two directions there. Um, and I thought, and I guess I just equated it to this is how it must feel if you have two families that you have to kind of meet obligations to. Mm. And so I felt a lot of pressure on my point, on my part, uh, for having to navigate those, both of those relationships and make everybody happy. And I tend to be a people pleaser anyway. And so that was where the majority of my stress came from regarding that was, I felt like I had to make everybody happy. And I, I still feel like that even with kids and things like that. But that was the hardest part. And I really struggled. And I'm super thankful my husband was always there to kind of help me think through things and what was the right thing to say and whatnot because I didn't want to offend anybody. Yeah. Maybe and so it was a few awkward – that was 96. So it was about two years that that was the situation. And then in the end of 98 – um, I ended up moving back here and my daughter was born right before I moved back here. That was probably the best thing that could have happened to our relationship. My birth mom's and mine, she came, my husband was working in Michigan already and I was still in Indiana with uh, my daughter and she came down and stayed with me for a week. And it, she is Isabella. My daughter totally changed that dynamic because we then had something else kind of to focus on. But while we were focusing on her, we would have little conversations on the side and it just became so much more natural. Mm. And when I moved back here, I ended up being an hour and a half from her. And so I could go for the day and there wasn't this big pressure of, oh, I've got to spend a holiday or we've got to figure out how this is going to work. It was just like, you know, I'm going to go for a few hours. Mm. We had fun. We, you know, she held the baby, whatever. And we had conversations and our relationship really grew after that time. Wow. So I've been super grateful for that happening. That's amazing. It's funny how a grandchild can change the dynamic in almost every situation, right? Yes. It's really amazing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there obviously it's not always peaches and cream there are instances where grandchildren can be um challenging because of the circumstances mm -hmm. through which they came into the world or whatever but on the whole a lot of times this baby can be the great equalizer and especially for right. an adoptee and their biological parents because you then are looking at lineage it's not just you and me and the tension that uh exists between us from some historical transaction that happened now there's this here's what the future looks like and there's a lineage that will follow that child over there that is all part of right. us and you get to look over there and sort of hopefully feel a little bit of hope you know to get over everything as you've as you've said there's something else to focus on but it's still right. a part of you you're not totally it's not like you're focusing on the baseball game you're focusing on yourselves but through through this child as a proxy for your own right. lineage it's really amazing Baby Isabella was also the catalyst for Liz's adoptive parents to meet Joan. When Liz held Isabella's baby dedication ceremony, Joan, Liz's younger sister, and the sister's son, Liz's nephew, also attended. That was the first time of many times over the years that her adoptive parents met her biological mother. 
Liz admitted she was unsure how their first meeting would go, but her parents were very welcoming, gracious, and interested in Joan's life. Switching to Liz's biological father, Joan had revealed the man's name and she knew where he had lived, so it should be easy to track down the family. But she also had some rough things to say about Liz's paternal side. Joan's best friend had married Liz's birth father's brother. Since Joan's buddy was in the family, Joan heard everything that was happening on that side of Liz's tree from incarceration to addiction and more. And so when she told me about that, she told me that he had two daughters. Um, I just really had no desire to even look for them. One, it was enough trying to get to know her and her family and add them into my life. Um, and two, I just was like, wow, I wonder, I don't know, I was just kind of skeptical about how these women might be living. And I wasn't sure I wanted to bring that into my life. Liz met Joan in 1996. She said she didn't even think about looking for her paternal sisters until 2011. Liz had met her paternal uncle at a wedding and one other chance meeting, but they only had fleeting conversations. So in spring of 2011, Joan was visiting Liz when the paternal side of the family came up in conversation. Liz asked Joan to remind her what the paternal sister's names were because by then, Facebook had become a resource. Immediately, she found her paternal sisters, Christina and Tracy, and one of them had an open Facebook page. They seemed like typical women with regular lives, so Liz decided to reach out. Liz drafted a Facebook message for the sister with the open page. She didn't get a response for a day or so. And then my... Um... My sister Christina responded and she said, uh, we just got your message and we're really shocked by this. Um, you know, and she asked me a few questions. She said, when did you say you were born? I said, 1967. She said, yeah, so was I. I'm like, yeah, I know. And um, so we kind of chit-chatted a little bit and she said, okay, well, let's have a conversation at some point. Well, it it turned out she and her sister were actually visiting each other. It was Easter week and they had been, um, one had been at the other's house and I kept waiting and waiting and they, they wouldn't call. There was always some reason they couldn't and they just kept putting it off. And I was kind of disappointed and a little frustrated, but um, like I said, I tend to be a little bit more, okay, let's just go for it. You know, whereas they were a little more cautious about this, I think. And their mom was there and, their mom said, I don't know anything about this, which I'm not sure, you know, if she had heard of me over the years or not. I was very surprised that they didn't know anything about me. Knowing that I had met my uncle and his wife, I would have thought somebody would have said something about me. Yeah. And so I was just really shocked by that. Um, we finally had a phone call. They were like, wow, you don't really look like us at all. And there was a lot of doubt on their uh, and as to whether or not I truly was his daughter. And um, so they they had wanted to do DNA testing, but I don't know. I, I'm sure Ancestry was in existence then, but we weren't really, I, I don't know, I didn't connect with it at all. So it was going to be very expensive to do sibling DNA matches, I guess. And I didn't have the money for it, and they didn't either. So we just kind of let it go. And they just said, okay, we'll just kind of take this at face value. I said, you know, this is the story that 
Joan has always told me she has never wavered from anything. I'm not really sure why she would make it up. Um, especially with the fact that her parents didn't even like this family. Why would she pick somebody that they don't <laughs> right, like? Right, right. So uh, I didn't tell them that, of course. So they were like, oh, okay. And then it wasn't until maybe, I don't know, I, it was probably two or three years ago, I finally did Ancestry. And my their first cousin, our first cousin popped up as one of my close relatives. And I was like, all right, guys, you're stuck with me. And they're like, oh, yay, grand, that's great. We always knew, blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. So that's how that came about. And we, I met my one sister. She lives in Michigan. I met her that summer and we had kind of an awkward lunch because, so my, my biological father died of drugs, of an overdose. And there was a lot of anger on my sister's parts toward him and toward the circumstances. He left them when they were very little. And, um, there was just a lot of history there that was very, very difficult. And so me coming into the picture dredged up all of those feelings. And Tracy especially was, she just had a hard time with it. Um, so it was slow. Um, and even to this day, I mean, we chit chat, we text, you know, we comment on Facebook posts and such, and we see each other when it's convenient, but we don't really go out of our way to get together necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, I'm much closer with my sister from my birth mom, but, um, but, but I would say overall, we, when we're together, we have a great time and I just, I'm super blessed to have had so many positive relationships come of this reunion. Yeah. Um, I can't, you know, I feel so fortunate when I, especially when I hear so many struggles from other people. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sorry for how your sister lost her dad. I mean, that must have been really difficult to mm -hmm, have someone I suffer agree. an overdose. To me, it's just a story, you know, in my, yeah, like, unknown history. But to her, it was very she lived it, real and suffered present it. and personal. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then for you guys to be born... Was it the same year or a year apart? Same year, yeah. nine months apart. Yeah, that would dredge up every bit of it. Wow, that's yeah. really crazy. But it's good yeah. that you guys are connected. I mean, I I like hearing that you when you do get together, things are good, right? Because it sounds like you're yeah. Able to put and some their of that mom has been you. amazing. She has been so welcoming to me and very loving, and so. I, she reminds me a lot of my birth mom. So I don't know if he had a type, but uh, she's just a very <laughs> wonderful person. And I, I really appreciate that wow. because it could have been something really, really negative for her. Mm -hmm. Wow. Unbelievable. That's good. I'm glad you, you feel this blessing of having connected with folks that you, you know, didn't know before, but feel, you know, sort of welcomed by because not everybody gets that. And that's, that's super right. powerful. It fills voids you didn't even know were there, and I think that that is so healing, you know? Yeah. yeah. I had always wanted sisters, and now I have three. So <laughs> That's so great. cool. Very cool. Well, Liz, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think this is really amazing, and I'm so happy for you thank that you. you've gotten some Thanks. healing out of all of this. This is really cool. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's about, I, I, when uh, when I sent my my information off to you, I was kind of like, I hear so many people's really tough stories or just amazing twists or whatever, and I'm like, oh well, my story's kind of not not very exciting. But I'm like, oh well, whatever. It's hey, you know. it's real. This is the thing. Like yeah. 
if you, it might not sound fantastic as compared with some of the other just unbelievable or egregious or whatever stories that you right. hear in adoptee sor- circles, but that's just because it's compared to other adoptee stories. If you compare this with anybody else's life story, like they have to pause back at the beginning where they're like, wait, adoption means you were transferred from one parent to another. Like they would start yeah. to fathom your story from that moment and everything else yeah, is going to be comparatively unbelievable because most people do grow up with their biologicals around them. And it's almost unfathomable to think, wait, you you had to search for your mom. That's bananas. Right. So I'm right. glad you shared because you've also expressed some things about your expectations for search. You've expressed some things about um, your mom's approach to parenting and and some of the mm-hmm. you know the things that that will resonate okay. with other people. So yeah. you know your story is your story, and it doesn't have to be sensational sure. to be impactful for somebody else. You know what I mean? I did want to mention my mom. I don't know if I had said it. My mom, my birth mom, died in 2012 so mm-hmm. she's been gone about eight years i can't believe it's been eight years now wow. um and so I, I do i miss her a lot but i'm very thankful for the 16 years we had and i'm you know glad i still have a good relationship with my sister and such so yeah, sure can you just tell me we don't have to go quite yet just tell me what was it like how did you find out that she had passed did you know she was sick tell me about give me the scenario and how how did you feel so in the my um my mom has all has she smoked for many, many, many years and she had very bad diabetes. And so she was not the healthiest person. And I had known that for a while. She had a heart attack and really struggled to recover from that. Um, that was, God, I can't remember what year that was now, maybe 2004 or five. And so I, I knew that she wasn't well and I knew that she wouldn't live too many more years but it was very much a shock when it happened I um she had called Valentine's Day of 2012 she had called my husband said oh Joan called and I thought he meant like you know he answered the phone and said she's not home right now and so um or I called her back the next day on my way home from work it was probably like 5 30 and she I called her back and they said oh she's in the bathroom I'll have her call you and like 45 minutes later, my brother-in-law called and said, Joan collapsed and she, we were pretty sure she's gone and the paramedics were working on her. So oh, she just died of a massive heart attack at that point. And I was devastated. It was, I mean, I immediately just burst into tears and was like, no, I can't, I can't lose her. It's too soon. Oh. You know, I, had, I haven't had enough time. Yeah. So then there, it, that was the hardest. And I, I still like when anything happens, she's one of the first people I want to pick up the phone and call and I can't. So I call my sister, which is, you know, a great, a great substitute, but sure. um, I still would love to be able to share things with her. Yeah. So. Did you go to her funeral and stuff? Yes, for sure. And my, and it was um, my sister really, she said, I don't think I can get up because she was too emotional. So she couldn't speak. And um, so I ended up, giving like a I don't know what you call that um I I talked at her service and I played my viola um I played Amazing Grace so it was tough I was crying through all of it but but I was um and my parents came my mom and dad came and so yeah wow that must have been really fulfilling I mean it sounds incredibly emotional but to be able to play something that you've been 
practicing your whole life. It's such a meaningful moment. That must have been unreal. Right. Yeah. So it, yeah, I will. I, I know there's a video of it, but I haven't seen it. I've been like, I don't know if I can watch it at this point. But I know, I know. It's maybe hard. someday. Yeah, one day. Well, yeah. Liz, thank you so much for sharing everything. This is this is really fascinating. I appreciate you taking time, and I wish you all the best. Okay. Thank you, Take and care. thanks for talking with me. Of I love your show, and I, I just appreciate how much I've learned and grown from it as well. Oh man, huge smile. Thank you so much, Liz. Take care. Have a great weekend. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey, it's me. Liz grew up surrounded by adoption, so it wasn't until she got to the Dominican Republic teaching lots of adopted children that she realized some of what adoption can do to a child. I liked hearing that her mom was the one to flag the change in Michigan law that allowed Liz to find her natural mother. Her all-in, just go-for-it mentality worked out well for her and Joan to dive into reunion in that hotel room together. People may have thought that approach was a bad idea, but the bonding that started overnight probably couldn't have been achieved any other way. I could feel the sorrow of the moment when Liz learned of Joan's passing. When an adoptee has been apart from their natural parent, they reunite, then that parent passes on, it can feel exactly like Liz said. It's just too soon, like you didn't get enough time, and every day you wish you could share more of your life with them. I can certainly empathize because I was at that point in 2014 when my natural mother Anne passed away suddenly. I miss her every day, just like Liz misses Joan. I'm Damon Davis and I hope you'll find something in Liz's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash really. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And if you're interested, you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really, an adoptee memoir, on Amazon.com, on Kindle, or as an audiobook on Audible. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.